You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. I'm not so sure. Good, but I'm not so sure about that first uh, that first photo. Yeah. Who's that? that? Was, uh, it had me like a quadruple chin. <laughs> I like our original artwork. Uh, the original, yeah. That's a blast from the past. We did that probably about uh, seven, eight years ago. See, and, and now we're futuristic. Look at our background now. We're in the future. <laughs> and he's always in the lights. Yeah, I'm always yeah. in the lights. <laughs> I like that, though. You know, keep it fresh. Get people clicking on it. Let's go. Clicks, right. clicks. Yeah. Awesome. We, uh, we, uh, there's a lot of competition. I don't know if you guys have heard this in podcasts. And uh, we have to look at our best at all times. Or people are not going to click on us. We got to stand out. I think we should this summer do it from the beach. We should hire models to, to do our voice. We'll do the voices, and they can do the <laughs> exactly do the voiceovers. We should like ventriloquist. We should <laughs> have the ah, the market's great. <laughs> no. Okay. Anyways, where are we going? This year, today, from last year, what's changed in the market? Uh, a whole lot, a whole lot, lot, lot. Meaning, um, I think uh, well, I'm going to say one. I think uh, how we list properties now, I think, has totally changed um, from the pricing and and what needs to be done. Uh, it's I think it's more important than ever that hitting the market at at the right time. Um, you know, there's and. and that kind of sounds funny because everyone says, oh, it doesn't matter when you get on, just get on. But there is opportunistic points that um, you can hit. And if you're out in the market and you're looking at stuff and showing stuff, you know what those price points are. You can see the activity that are happening on those listings and, and going in and, and being at the right time is super important. And so what we're telling people is just get it ready, have it completely ready. Even if it's like, oh, I don't want to list until July. You know what? Have it ready by June 1st because there might be an opportunity in there that we might be able to get you ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 more if we hit it at the right time. Well, and you know, us old dogs that have been around a few, you know, laps around the old track of life, uh, you know, we look at the, the marketplace and we want to go back to what we instinctually know as a, a cyclical market where, you know, you get that spring buyer and then you get that lull in the summer and you go back to the fall push and then it's, it's quiet over the holidays. And I, I think since the, literally since the housing crisis, you know, what, uh, almost 20 years ago now, it's crazy, isn't it? If you think back, it's, it's what, 14, 15 years ago. Um, the, uh, the marketplace back then was opportunistic based. People were buying because there was deals. And those with cash had the opportunities and, and they all made a, a fortune. And, and that is the, you know, the Warren Buffett uh, way to do business. When everybody else is getting out of something, you're getting in it. And a lot of people made a lot of money over the years. And so, you know, we've kind of become this economy of with housing where we don't put as much of the um, emphasis on like kids in school as they used to. Um, I mean, they still care. Don't get me wrong. But People are like, hey, if the if I'm I want to build a house and it closes in March, it closes in March. And if they have kids, the kids go along, and we have to you know drive them or whatever for a few weeks that's or months. Um, they seem to not care. So what you're saying, Chris, you know, and I, I'm I'm right with you. I used to be like nervous right now. People were calling me saying, hey, we want to get on the market because after Memorial Day it was a cliff, and showing stopped. And between that and the Fourth of July, then after Fourth, you're done. I mean, it was it was literally like the summer lull. And go on vacation, have a good time, see you in the fall. Because um, those that bought, you need to buy now for the kids for the fall to be into school, you know, or whatever. But anyway, 
Right. Yeah. No, it's a it, it's it's very uh, interesting market, and and you got to attack it. I mean, getting it on anytime is good. But I'll tell you what, I think that's the difference between, uh, you know, people say, well, you don't need a realtor to sell a house right now. You don't. I agree. You don't. But I'll tell you what, you definitely need a realtor to maximize your return. And uh, I think it's happening more and more. Um, the agents, and, and I've said this probably 10 times now, but I don't think there's been more of an important time to have a realtor uh, that's good on your side than it is right now today. It really isn't. Um, and, and it's it's interesting because sometimes you, you know, you're like on the, from the buy side, let's talk about that a little, you know, um, we're, we're in a totally different uh, situation trying to find out what works and what doesn't for a, a seller and your offers, because you might have the best buyer in the world. We've got one right now that's, um, you know, that can do everything. They can uh, do the whole appraisal guarantee. Uh, they're very well qualified. They have enough money in which to be able to put down. Um, just a flexible possession, you know, can do pretty much anything they want. And they're kind of fighting in that uh, 550 to 650 range uh, on the Western suburbs, which is absolutely kind of a terror. And, um, you know, we're, we're all for our last four, you know, and there's other ones that just was showing, uh, showed some houses on Monday, which I couldn't believe, Andy, there was four listings available that came on on that Friday and they were still available on Monday. I was like, what, what the heck? This is yeah. kind of weird because usually you got multiple offers on, on Sunday. Well, anyways, we ended up getting one and still went single offer on Wednesday. And I thought that was quite uh, uh, amazing, but that's why I'm saying that market shift. So a lot of people were seeing in that price point uh, in that area, which was kind of in the uh, Lakeville uh, area in that five to 600 range, uh, a lot of people jumped into that market, you know, and took a lot of those buyers out. Now, the, a lot of them haven't happened on the Western suburbs, so there's not as much time uh, or uh, inventory. And so then there's a bunch of people that are boom and just and grabbing them. So you got to know what's happening in the market because sometimes you'd think, hey, you know, we got to go in and we got to be really aggressive right at the beginning, which we've all done. I mean, we've done sight unseen offers. You go in the first day and just try to give them more money. And if you give them more money, just because you want to be able to get that, well, now there's a little, there's a little, maybe a little lull. And now maybe you can grab something and maybe even get it just for full price. Right. Yeah, so. no, it's true. I mean, we've even seen where new construction, I was saying this last week, um, where new construction was so fast and so far ahead but the existing market is so ridiculous in some price pockets that the existing markets have almost caught up with new construction again. So, you know, you're, you're buying houses were built in the early 2000s with oak trim and they're still getting 589 for them. And the new builds are 620 with all the modern amenities, energy efficiencies, everything's brand new. No furnace is going out in two weeks. No roofing needs to be replaced. So, you know, for me, I, I really look at you got to be a little um cautious and, and trust your gut because when you are walking into a situation where you you feel like man i'm getting ripped off and you know and uh, honestly yeah yeah i get it you need a place to live but just be patient because if you if you're feeling you know like hey this offer i put forward is just too aggressive you know puts me in harm's way um back off of it i mean it's just it's not worth it long term and andy let's just answer this question what if you felt pressured around November of last year buying new construction and you waited it out and now you're trying to buy it right now? What would have what happened? Say that again. I was texting. Oh, no problem. Sorry, Don't worry I about know, it. I, Just I a get, podcast. I get all these questions coming in. <laughs> um, okay, so if if that person in that scenario, you know, and being patient and, and waiting it out, and you kind of felt that in November while buying new construction, and now you're feeling a little more comfortable to be able to kind of go forward. I mean, what what's happened to the pricing from November until right now in new construction? Uh, yeah, so you you would have given them bad advice. <laughs> but seriously, I mean, that's that's kind of the thing. But you don't know. You don't know. We never thought that would happen in new construction and that people won't mind and they'll still grab it and yeah. take it. It's crazy. Yep. So yep. you can't, you can't, that's what I'm saying. Nowadays, you can't predict anything. So be prepared and then strike it when the time is right. Speaking of striking when the time is right, um, let's go into ways 
different kind of ways to invest in real estate, not the typical buy a home, sell it in the future, but you know, different kind of ways. Um, I'm going to put some photos on my screen. Uh, the first one, a rental property. As hot as they can get is right now. I'll tell you that I've got five different people looking for rentals right now, all different situations, but most of them are building, got rid of their house and now they're building and uh, and they need a, a short term rental. And the thing that happened was a lot of the property owners are sick of renting properties because they got kind of beat up and sliced and diced for years. And now all of a sudden the rental properties or the values of homes have gone up and they say, you know what, I'm getting out. And I'm one of them. I was one of those people. Um, it, but rental properties have gone crazy right now. It's a great, uh, it's a great investment. And if it's a long term, I just don't know if um, you know. If obviously, if we get into a foreclosure type situation again, you know, the rents will go down as well. But uh, right now, there's just nothing available. You're right, and I think that the you know all of the uh, bigger investment firms that are out there are saying that rental properties will continue to be a good vehicle to jump on and, and ride out because the, uh, you're just, I, I, I don't mean to sound like an economist or anything like that, but I am seeing a complete separation of the rich and the poor. And there, there's very, very, very little um, like upside for mi the middle class right now. I mean, it's, you know, you sit there and you have um, good interest rates. Yeah. But, you're overpaying for properties and you're stuck in those properties if the market ever changes. And, you know, if your leverage too high, meaning you've got no money into it or whatever. And it just, I don't know. I, I look at it like this. There are people that are building luxury homes and having the best times of their lives. And I'm seeing other people that are scared to death and, you know, wanting a rental property until things cool off a little bit. So um, they're still showing that rental and single family rentals for that matter, more so than even the, uh, the apartment style rentals, Apartment style rentals, I guess this is something too. Chris and I can talk about this. People, the, the rental markets, people that rent apartments are a completely different customer than people that rent single family homes and have different needs and different, you know, goals and different whatever. And it's not a bad thing. It just is what it is. When you survey and you look at the, the, the um, um, how rental properties are taken care of versus, you know, sometimes how they, they are overused or worn out, if you will. And it's just a different market. So single family rentals is where I would invest right now. Um, I, I do anything up to four units or less, you know. Um, even and how about how about a little higher price? Uh, yeah. You know, that there's, there's, four, 450 to 550 uh, price point, if we're talking south of the river, uh, is a great return on that, on that level of a home because there's a lot of people that – you know, that have some multiple kids, they want to be able to get in the neighborhood, they're going to push it. They're going to pay you more yep. uh, than what you would have gotten before. Or in the right school districts. I think it comes back to that again, too. You know, get in those, uh, the do your research on school districts. Even if you don't have kids in school, it makes all the difference in the world for rentals. makes all the difference in the world for resale. You know? Yep. This next one is a, a vacation rental. And I know a little bit about this as I, I've traveled a lot and seen a lot of great deals in certain countries where you can buy a property, get residency, and you can also rent it out. The rules are a little shakier overseas. You gotta really know what you're doing, but I think it could be a great investment if it's out of the United States too. Yeah, and I, I, get, I guess on that, it's, it is you do have to um, hook up with someone that knows about that kind of stuff. Um, you know, if you're not staying in the contiguous uh, U.S., you're you're going to be uh, subject to uh, different laws. Um, I mean, the contracts are different in every state as well. So you still have uh, an issue with that. I have uh, a couple coming in from Canada and our, our contracts are totally different again, you know, and, and the language is different. And it's yep. I mean, you all get to the same thing, but the process and everything is, is just a little different. And so getting to know it. But vacation rentals are um I mean, are fantastic. It's a way in which that you could go uh, maintain them and help them out and maybe stay in them for a little bit to be able to uh, make sure they're uh, rentable, but yet uh, gain money. And then maybe at some time or some point in life that you can take that over and live in it. And that's where you can uh, hang out. Yeah, I, I always I, I can't agree more. I think that there's, you know, um, in the fee simple or the true title 
um, countries that are out there that protect you as an owner um, are important. I think that you need to look at each country's history. And, you know, like Mexico has had a bad rap over the years where, you know, um, they decide all of a sudden all foreign owners are no longer owners and they take them back. And all of a sudden you have ownership rights, you have debts against it, and they take it all away. And nobody believes me when I say that, but I go research it. It's, it was in the 80s they did that. So they even took foreign countries or companies, you know, and took away factories and everything else. So, you know, countries that are not the U.S. don't act like the U.S. And nobody feels sorry for you if they respond the way they respond. In some of these countries that are in, in dire straits, they may have beautiful beaches, but if their economies are struggling or they're whatever, I mean, you got to look at the whole picture there. I, I think that there's plenty of safe uh, places in the U.S. to invest. Um, plenty of safe places up in northern Minnesota to invest, um, you know, and, and you're protected under U.S. law. But I, again, I mean, we've all got the fantasy owning the oceanfront property down in the Caribbean, but there's a lot of Caribbean oceanfront properties that are are protected, and then there's a lot that are not. So, buyer beware. Hey Nick, what would I know? Obviously, you've traveled a lot, and I know you study kind of the real estate thing growing up in it. But um, where where would you say? Where would you tell someone to go if they? the most beautiful place that you've seen uh, kind of in that Europe area? In the Europe area? Well, first I'd like to say Andy is really correct on that, uh, the Mexico thing. In the Riviera Maya in Tulum, when it was just a little seaside village, a lot of uh, Europeans and Americans bought up things, made hotels, and then Tulum exploded in the past like 10 years, more so the last five, and the cartel came in there, said it's ours now. And a lot of people had like the embassies go after them and it's been a it's been a tough process. But I think if you find the right people, there's a crap ton of expats in Mexico and in different parts of the world that you just need to know the right person on the ground for sure. I mean, I would say right now the best place is probably Portugal because they have the golden visa program or if you invest a certain amount in real estate there, you can get a citizenship and then you have the EU uh, work and travel. You can pass it on to your kids. Portugal is beautiful. It's very cheap. Um, third safest country in the world. But I think, yeah, it really just depends on like Greece has really good golden visa programs, but their property tax is insane and their economy is is sketchy. So, but like uh, Andy said too, yeah, down in like Florida, there's the Caribbean water. There's lots of different places that you can invest in in America. You just got to really know, you know, what you're doing if you go outside of it. But I don't think it's impossible for sure. Right. It, it, just quickly, Portugal, when you say cheap, what do you mean by that? Uh, Give an example. Living, the cost of living is very cheap. I mean, people probably make maybe $1,500 a month there. Okay. Yeah, they're so getting you, rent for like 200 euros a month. Okay. Yeah, that's very inexpensive for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so. And the Golden Visa program, I think, started at like 350,000 euros. And you could buy something cheaper and just renovate it till you hit that point. Now, so many people have done it, it's moved to 500,000. But yeah. I mean, with that kind of money, you're getting a, a very nice place. Do they do they have any Buffalo Wild Wings there? No, but they had the least <laughs> processed food, I think, in all of Europe, which is really good already. So maybe it'd be good for you. No, well, well, I'm just saying that if they don't, I could rent four different places for the money I spend at Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> so this is good. <laughs> Listen, the, uh, you open a Buffalo Wild Wings there and you have to save up for two weeks to go to dinner. I don't like every, I don't like your restaurants to be packed. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right, next one, house flipping. Well, that's an interesting flip there. That literally that's is a flip. That's actually kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, the yeah, house flipping, um, I've, I've done a number of them, um, and I wish I would have uh, just kept doing them instead of holding rentals, because rentals really just wasn't for me. I wasn't, uh, you know, the big tough guy and, and wanting to kick everyone out and, and, you know, go beat them up in the middle of the night and break an arm to get their money. And so it, it just wasn't uh, the greatest, and, and I'm not very handy. And now the house flipping, uh, you know, if you if you do it right, uh, you can do real well. Obviously, the money's made in the buy and kind of the creative things that you can do. I mean, this picture is a, a great example of, I mean, totally. I mean, th maybe the inside was perfect, just a little bland, and then you turn it into a, a contemporary thing where, you know, maybe $200 a square foot over there, but you just turn this into a, a $400 a square foot because you can't get it anywhere else, and the right person pays for it. Yeah, that to me looks like new construction. I mean, they... 
basically took an old shell down and put up a new modern flat roof on stilts uh, kind of a house there. But it, you, you know, I think when you look at the, um, the example, let's say that they did actually flip flip it, but um, you know, you invest that kind of money, you know, redoing roofs and removing a third floor and you know, it, you're talking big, big money. And then you have wow. to look at, can that area absorb that? You know, so also now you've got uh, a house for a million six, um, you know, and, and, it, and it went for 460 when you bought it. You know, is there that kind of return in that area? Um, I always say just be careful, you know, because just because you think it's cool doesn't mean it's going to sell. And just because you think it's cool doesn't mean that somebody's going to pay for it. Um, yeah. Back in the day, I saw a lot of flippers that had to sit on houses for years before they could sell them because they overinvested or they overdid the house. Um, so just make sure you understand what the top of the market is, what the bottom of the market is. And right now there's not a lot of flips going on except for the people that are doing guaranteed offers um, or wholesaling, you know, or these um, the golden road or whatever they're called, where people just literally hand them over the keys and they clean out the house and sell it at a wholesale price. And then what ends up happening is that gives them the opportunity to fix it up and flip it. Um, that's why they're one of the only you know companies out there flipping houses right now because they're they're literally buying it at at the you know the only people in the market that will sell that cheap. So, and nothing wrong with it. It is what it is. I'm pretty sure they have you disclose up front that they know you know what they're up to. But um, or we you know like that we buy ugly houses too. I said it says it right in the name. They're mentally positioning you to sell your house for less, you know, because it's ugly and or nobody else will want it. And you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. It is what it is. There's obviously a need for that. Uh, kind of a brokerage or company in the marketplace or they wouldn't exist. Hey, Chris, what was your success rate with flipping? Now, obviously you've had a lot of experience in real estate, so you had an edge, but what was your, your rate you think? Um, that, that I won. Yes. Uh, let's just, well, I never lost. Let's just say that. And sometimes you didn't uh, make as much as that you wanted to make, but um for the most part, it turned out uh, it turned out pretty good. Um, I don't know. I guess I don't know rate or um, you know, but you could make uh, you could make some really uh, good money. Uh, and I think there's just interesting little things that you can do um, to be able to kind of. But you you have to understand that market and what that market's bringing. I think that's really important for people to know it's uh, you know, you can fix it up all pretty and put everything the nicest in it. But if that market's not going to bear that price, you're not going to get that price. So you have to know that part as well. So it's kind of a combination. Hi, this next one, we got Airbnb, either buying a place like a rental and, and doing just Airbnb or renting out a part of your home, a room in your home, your guys' thoughts. It's a great, it's a, it's a great thing. I mean, I got a, a friend that's uh, got a couple of them and uh, got them on water and he just kills it, you know, it just, it, they kill it. So it's kind of, sometimes you can take four months and just, you know, make your whole year. Then eight months, the rest of the eight months is just pure profit. Yeah. It, it, it's an interesting concept for sure. I mean, that's utilizing short-term rentals is, you know, at Airbnb, when I think of it is short-term, smaller, um, quick, you know, and, and there's a lot of um, opportunities, you know, uh, when you go with a group like Airbnb and then you get uh, the investors that are, are using that service, they don't want to pay the fees. So they always try to figure out a way to get around these Airbnbs. And I always warn people that, you know, when you're dealing with a consumer, uh, dealing with another consumer, just beware. I mean, you know, do they, now you don't have a track record. Now they don't have anybody regulating them or watching them or holding them to a standard. So to me, I, I do recommend people when they go on vacations, um, you know, and you're using these, these uh, style services, you do stick with the companies that are affiliated with the brands um, until you've got a track record with that person. And then you can maybe come back the next year and, and rent it, but without the Airbnb, you know, uh, designation or, or affiliation. But you know, for the most part, it's it, it just, I don't know, it's just a new part of our business. Um, I, I think that there's risk there. Um, I don't think you know who's renting your place as much either, you know. So as an investor, I look at that and if I live there and I was renting out my basement, for an example, to an Airbnb and, you know, yeah, you can do limited research, but, you know, I've, I've heard people don't always tell the truth. And, you know, if they're looking for temporary housing, why? Are you just visiting the area? Are you visiting friends? Are you, you know, anyway, I'm a little more skeptical. It's probably not a good fit for me, but but in, in reality, though, 
you're getting, I mean, not only are you um, critiquing the owners of that, but the, the renters get critiqued as well. And they get profiles on them. I remember I went with Nick on one yeah. and he's like, oh, don't, don't screw that up or don't mess that up or don't screw this up. Cause, and I'm like, what? It's a, I mean, it's a Airbnb. I'm not doing nothing. He goes, well, that will go against me because they not only Nick does it, not only ranks them or gives them um, a score, they give the tenants a score, which I think is interesting. And then does that, Nick, you're- no, and that, that's, that's why, like I was saying, I think that you should stick with the services because I, I do think that that, for that reason yeah. alone is worth all the, you know- I agree. Value. Yeah, if you get higher ratings and you're a good person, you get uh, better deals, longer term stays if you want, option, um, access to like better ones and, it's it pays to be a good um, tenant, and the people that mess around they get kicked out pretty quick. You know what I mean? But like Andy, like you were saying, I do that a lot. Is where I'll stay there maybe for one night, and then be like, "Hey, I like this. Let's do cash. You know, give me a good deal for the yep. next week." And that's yeah. you can get you can save yeah, a lot of money. Check it too, because you got a chance to check it out, and you know you like the unit. The people are cool, and and um, it, it's just it's a new it's a new thing and it's it's yeah. short term and it's fast and it's quick and it's um kind of that you know I, I see the value in it the vrbo same concept um i see the value in that but what i'm seeing a lot of people really enjoying about the vrbos is that like they'll take their cabin and they'll rent it out for a month at a time and they'll get five grand for the month you know and somebody will pay that because they don't want to move properties and they want to be at the lake and wake up drinking coffee at the lake and pretend it's their own place you know and, and that's I, 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 know, I see value in that too. I know someone that does it that their boyfriend, girlfriend, and uh, it's the guy's place and he just goes to his girlfriend's if he rents it out and they make extra money and they use it for vacations. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, you I mean, see that with the, the golf tournaments and stuff, even in the cities here in, in Blaine. A lot yeah. of people at VRBO or when we had the Super Bowl, people were doing the, you know, uh, or Airbnb, I guess. The, the Airbnb, Air Bread and Breakfast, you know, or whatever. So that's like you're in somebody else's house, right? So that's a little different than a VRBO where it's vacation by where you get the whole house to yourself. No, you, you can do both. You do both in Airbnb. Sometimes it's one room, sometimes it's a whole apartment, and it tells you. But I mean, oh, cool. okay. example, like in, in Florence, there's places that are they're renting for 550, 600 euros a month, and they're renting out rooms for 40 euros a night. You know what I mean? So they're still living yep. in the apartment, they're renting out. And it's covering like all their rent if they do it a couple of weeks. It's pretty okay. crazy the the margins are. Oh, yeah, the longer, nice. the longer and shorter stays. Yep. Um, our last one, uh, building a spec home. Andy, I just ran into one. We've got someone that's building a home and they own uh, two lots because they they basically split it off. And not only are they building their own house, they're building the house next door as a spec home to just totally complement what their house is doing. They just don't want to get um, beat up on the, the value of someone. And so they're going to position it the right way, do everything the right way, and then have it so then they can turn around and sell it, which I think is kind of interesting. You no, know, spec homes can be great. I think if you've never built one before, there's, there's uh, again, your expenses will get away from you. You're, if, if you think you're going to get that frame or frame that house at the same price the builder down the street gets it done for, you're kidding yourself. I mean, you're a one-off. You're going to be a pain in the butt for that person, you know. So they're going to charge you a little more, and 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 to get people to show up is another thing. Um, a lot of builders that I know right now are keeping their crews pretty tight. Um, you know, they're not letting them wander very far because they need them, and they're keeping them so busy they don't have time to take other properties on. So it's a little trickier to flip right or to to build a spec home right now. But in a normal market, I think it's a great project because especially when things are not as busy and not as chaotic. And maybe there's a couple framers that'll bid the job out for you and you can actually, you know, get a better value because they're, they're not so busy. They, they, you know, they're, they're actually bidding stuff. Um, you get three bids from electricians and plumbers and, you know, you shop lumber yards. And when you're, I think the, the, I call them the mom and pop, you know, builders that shop Menards or they shop, you know, Home Depot and they look for the deals like on light fixtures and they look for the deals on appliances you, you can make money for sure. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it versus the builder that calls the lumber yard and the lumber gets delivered. They don't really shop the lumber. They just annually shop lumber, you know, and, and try, you know what I'm saying? Cause they have, they need the service more than they need the, the, uh, the $50 savings. They're not looking at closeout deals and 
hey, right. you know what, we'll go with this color of decking because it's they'll give it for 50% off. And right. that's when exactly. if you're building your own spec home, you can do that kind of stuff. Yep. And so I think there's actually, especially lakefront properties, if you can buy a lot on a lake and you can do something cool like this and you could have a beautiful lakefront property, um, I, I would say, yes, it, it could be a real fun adventure for you. But in the city, man, I'll tell you, our builders are working on five to 10% margins and, and they're buying, you know, so much at a time. I don't, I don't see how you'd ever beat them, but unless you were really big and luxurious. No. Story time. We haven't had in a long time. Here we go. <laughs> Coolest, unique features you've seen in homes. I got one. Go, you want me to go? Okay. Yeah. There, there's one that I saw um, that basically had uh, an apocalypse room in it. it and it was, uh, there was a, it was like an eight inch door, thick door, uh, metal, uh, totally reinforced. And it was probably about a eight by 10 room where it was stocked with everything. They even had air filtration systems. Um, I mean, the, the guns and the ammunition that were in there were, it was, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, it was, it was one of those things that um, it wasn't on the market. It was just something I was able to see off market because there's no way you'd let anyone in there. But it, it basically had, if there's a nuclear war, they had it set up that they could breathe in there and, and stay there for, you know, months on end. So I thought it was, what was that one with uh, Will Smith? Remember he was hiding in that one little bunker? Well, anyways, that's what it was kind of like. But it had, you should have seen like the the guns and the ammunition that were in there. It was, I mean, crazy. I I literally have had the same thing where I had a a client over in Wisconsin um, where they had built a, a really cool property, and they had the same thing where I think they were a little concerned about some of their collectibles, and um, which you know, like you just described, there's some of those and some of other things, and and so they literally built a like a commercial level safe in their home. That you walked into and it was hidden and so you had to go through their bar um and it was it was pretty sweet man i mean you know i was doing the old uh what is this in here and hey come here i want to show you something and then i'm like why do i have to go under the bar through the back by god there's a door there and it opens up and it looked like it was under the counter and it was you duck down and you go in there and all of a sudden you're in this big beautiful room and you know there's a spot there to sit down and have a cigar there's, uh, I mean, all this, you know, I don't panic room slash hydro valuables, but um, that that was cool. But that probably the coolest, like from a my impressive, like what was cool perspective. Um, I had a property that was over on the west end of town that um, we we had listed um, where or we we went out on the listing presentation uh, for strictly for a value and, and it never listed, but. This property, we went down in their basement and it was a amazing. I mean, we're 11,000 square foot house and we're walking through this house. And I mean, every detail was everything you've ever thought of, you know, audio, visual, the whole thing, the touch screens, turning lights on and off, amazing property. Then you go downstairs and the guy goes, well, this is my favorite spot. And we're sitting there and, and we're at the bar and he goes, hey, you want a beer? You want a pop or anything? And I'm like, sure, I'll, you know, whatever, I'll have a, a water. And we're sitting there and he goes, check this out. And behind him, the bartender, were, there was like this, looked like a white uh, wall, and it was glass. And he goes, Phew. and all of a sudden, the, the opaque glass goes clear, and there's a freaking Ferrari sitting there circling on a platform, and it was his garage that went all the way back, and it was car after car. It was like a car museum. So you sat at his bar, and when he wanted to impress you, he goes, flick. Also, you can see these beautiful row of cars and the lighting in there was on perfectly positioned on each car going back. I can't even imagine the millions of dollars that the guy had in vehicles. And uh, it, it was just and, and, and everybody always says, well, what, what did that person do? Packaging. That's all I'll say. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Packaging drugs or what? Oh, boards and something else and static I, stuff and cool stuff, said, you know. There's another one when you're talking about that. Mine's not as as, as cool as that, but they these this people that the house they bought, there was a house built with inside the house. 
and it was kind of like for the kids and they could go in there and there's running water in the sink and everything. I mean, it had little bunks and so they could stay in there, but you, the whole roof, it actually had real stone on the outside of it. And it was probably, um, probably eight by 10, but it had a roof and everything, a shingled roof. And it was, I mean, it's, it's, it was really cool. And it was kind of set off by itself and, uh, but kind of like linked the different rooms. And I thought that was pretty neat too. I have a question. So when you're reselling, how do you work with those things? Do you have to find the right person for the home or does oh. it get, get more on the resale if you have a hidden room? Like explain that. I think it's a, it, sometimes, I mean, you're not going to probably get additional money for that. Now, like Andy's thing, you're going to definitely get additional money uh, for something like that. Probably not what that guy invested in it, but um, people with a lot of money want unique and they want their own. And that's why they're buying all these different things and having that because that money, I mean, a thousand dollars to us, you know, or a thousand dollars to them is like, what well, you know what I'm saying a hundred thousand is like a thousand to us, and so they can just spend it and 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 get those types of things. But you when you run into like Andy's person there, you run into someone wanted, well, I want mine exactly right, and I want that built for a Ford Mustang, you know, that was in 1965 to be able to go around that track. So I'll just go build my own, and then I'll I'll do it tiered, and then I'll have different lighting, and then they so they come up with different things. But um it's interesting. There was a house in um in, in Credit River that had that exact thing. I mean, they have uh, they have everything. I mean, they have the yoga studio, they have uh, a pool, a pool house. Uh, a, I mean, it was crazy, all these different things that they had. But what happens is that eventually gets to a point that the person that's gonna buy it can go do all those things the way they want them themselves. And then the price goes way down. And then all of a sudden the people, the price you're at, people can't really afford the upkeep of it. And so they need to, to go even further to be able to do that. So, well, um, you you and I went to a house a, a year or so ago, kind of on the east side of town, and and uh, we we were out there. And I remember I, I was very fond of. They had a barn that was a two hundred year old barn that had been completely restored, um, and and was just amazing on the top. And I'm sitting there going, man, you could have like the old barn parties out here that were you know because everything was it was old looking but restored so i think some of these you know 24 inch beams that were you know uh that may have been older that were replaced but th they spent the money to do it authentically and then you go and there's a whole nother basement to this barn and and then they've got this monstrous wood shop and repair shop and tax spot for their horses and where they had their plows and their tractors i was drooling and chris could see it i was i was just absolutely going oh my god this is my fantasies to have this much fun activities in one barn. I oh my god, I'd never come in the house. You can still you can still probably buy it, Andy. I told you that they, they, he's the one that had the, the he designed uh, like an old um, gas station in his basement. Yeah, and, uh, and and actually had a car parked in there and had a roof inside. Yeah, it was really cool. That was a neat house. Yep. What town was that again? You sold one right I can't next to tell it. you. I'm under confidentiality agreement on that one. Oh, that's right. Okay, sorry. So are you? No, oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, let's get into our practical value for the week. Holding the perfect open house. I have seven key things I found from an article. I want you guys to think to say if you like them or not, or what you would do differently. Here's the first one. Get the timing right. <laughs> That's what I was talking about earlier. So 100% right, not only just listing your house, but um, on an open house. So if you do an open house on Easter Sunday, that's probably not the smartest thing to do. Um, you might want to do it on that Saturday. So doing it right. I mean, even in Minnesota, a big thing is uh, on Sundays is Viking games or a Packer game. So you just kind of got to watch that as well sometimes. Um, I've always done it. If the Vikings are at noon and they're winning, I'll do an open house like from 11 to 1. And so it gives them an excuse to be able to come earlier. And it's just more successful typically than 12 to 2 because you'd completely miss it. And if someone misses the kickoff, that's not so bad. So. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, you know, open houses for me um, in today's current market, um, statistics have shown that houses that list on Wednesdays and Thursdays sell faster and for more money. 
um, because of the people positioning themselves for the weekends, making their plans. So we've always um, done all of our, our pre-listing coming soon information to where we land on a Wednesday or a Thursday based on our, our sellers, you know, schedules. Um, and then, so we're doing open houses on weekdays. What's, what's really nice for the agents is the people that come through are serious. They, they make plans when they have enough time ahead of time, they'll make plans to be there from four to seven um, or come home at the end of the day, at the end of work. And they, they slip that open house. In. Weekends are, are pretty protected for a lot of people, um, you know, cause you work so hard all week long and you want to get out and have a little fun on the weekends. We've had great luck doing open houses that are properly marketed online, you know, to key demographics and, you know, the, our, our pocket of buyers we think is going to buy that house. And we do really well. Saturdays and Sundays, um, builders, a lot of the builders we work with still think that's, you know, you have to be open every Saturday and Sunday. Um, I'll argue that, you know, anything during the week for open houses on new construction is a little um, less than desirable. And uh, weekends, if it's raining, are fantastic for open houses. If it's a sunny Sunday or sunny uh, uh, Saturday, you're not going to see a soul. No. Or a Vikings game, same thing. Safety. Nah, not worth it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, safety, safety for the agent or safety for the house? I mean, I think uh, obviously as an agent, um, you know, what you want to do, you, you never want someone behind you. You know, you don't you don't walk them up the stairs with them behind you. Um, you know, always always keep everyone in front of you and, and be prepared because there is. I mean, um, there's things that happen and have happened. So, yeah, you know, I think I think it's just like anything else, if you're going to do something in the public, you're in the public. I mean, you're you're out in the open, and I, I think that you know, for the most part, the open houses have been um, you know uh, trauma free. Um, but there are the occasional situations where even like my mom back in the day when she would work these HUD opens um, for HUD houses. And she said she'd get some pretty seedy characters coming in there to the point of where she'd go out and lock herself in her car and, and leave the, the properties are vacant and they're owned by the government. So it wasn't like you were leaving somebody else's, but that's what she was trained to do. Nowadays, I think every agent I have has some kind of a mace or something with them um, or whatever. I think the other thing is is uh, valuables that are in the house. That that's a big thing. Is that and that you got to put that on the seller. Hey, you got to hide that stuff. Yep. You know, someone has like a, a jewelry uh, drawer, a jewelry chest. You know, and the, if you leave it out, that's just that's a disaster waiting to happen. We we had that just happen. Um, we did an open house where in the open house they had tons of these amazing Legos on display. The kids like these amazing like starships and. I don't rocket things and whatever. And they were, you know, nice. All of a sudden they go, well, two of my little people are missing from my rocket ship. Well, of course it was some dumb little kid that probably came along and threw it in his pocket and never even thought twice about it. And this kid's devastated over it. And I was like, well, what do you do? I mean, you're not supposed to leave out valuables and that's use a valuable. So, you know, yeah, but marketing and promoting your open house effect effectively. How do you guys do it? Well, I think a lot of people, um, Nick, people tend to open houses, hey, let's check it off. I have to do an open house. But if you're going to do it, do it right. And that's uh, getting the social media and all that stuff. I think Andy, I think he had a great little thing there where he's talking about doing open houses during the week where almost like where you could list one at noon on Thursday and then do an open house from four to six. Um, that That's kind of, again, you're creating the excitement. And that's what we're trying to do. We're creating excitement to be able to try to hopefully drive that price up. And if someone that's really interested comes, they see three other people, they're going to come in and say, hey, I want this house and here's what I'll pay for it because they don't want no one else to get it. That's what that's what you try to do. So open, yeah, open houses definitely. Have definitely become an event, right, Chris? Yeah. I mean, I look at them as we spend more money on, on promoting open houses. That's why if, if we don't get people through, we're just as disappointed, if not more than you are, because we spent hundreds of dollars promoting online and wherever else. So the, the one interesting thing about open houses, though, a lot of people have asked us not to do them. They don't want to deal with the public in the house. And I've always said, you know, what I always look at is how the consumer starts the journey of buying a house. What a great way for somebody to feel comfortable coming to a house that maybe hasn't started the process, hired an agent yet or whatever, and they just want to see what does 550 buy me? And they want to show up at that open house. 
And, and I, I just think it's, you know, yes, it's more work for us as agents, but I actually like open houses. And if I do them, I promote them properly and I time them correctly because that's everything. You don't just get yelled at and say, oh, why don't you do anything for me? And now I said, I'll do an open house tonight. Although those aren't going to be worth anything to you. You got to plan it out, be strategic, be intentional, and then you'll get the results you're desiring. How about creating parking and curb appeal? Creating parking. Um, Maybe like a condo is what he's saying. And, and like you have to park three blocks away or something down by like yeah. Lake Calhoun where or they have, have a, they have a, on the site. Yeah, if they have a long driveway, they can't have a bunch of people parking in there. You know, where yeah. do they park? Well, it's interesting. We had a model home for um, two years that we used uh, in the Reverence neighborhood. And it was a 550-foot driveway. And uh, basically what we had to do is we had to block off the driveway so that people could walk up there because everyone would get caught up in that driveway um, and, and not be able to get out. People are trying to get in and out. And it was kind of a kind of a mess um, when you had a bunch of people through. So um, and that that kind of hurts you sometimes, you know, yeah. unless you can create some sort of intrigue, you know, coming up. This house had it. So that was kind of nice. But it, it's, it could be a problem sometimes. And it and that might be um, a thing that you don't do an open house because of that because you don't want to show the negative part of it. Oh, we have a party. Well, we're not going to be able to get anyone in here. You don't want them thinking about the bad things. And so sometimes now an open house is going to hurt you. What, what about like signage and, you know, the curb appeal part to get them attracted to come there? Do you do balloons and confetti or what do you do? Andy, Andy's in a uh, Ben Franklin <laughs> statue thing. You know, those guys that stand on the side of the street and kind of go like this. That's what Andy does. On I his spend things. time, baby. Yeah. <laughs> right, do you still have that sumo wrestler costume? Yes. Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. So that's. Well, okay, uh, on Wednesdays. Yeah. But having a lot of open house signs, I think, is always good. You know, now everyone finds it on the internet and they have a map thing that brings them right to the house, but still um, catching people that might were just driving around saying, oh my gosh, that's the neighborhood I've always thought of. And they see a sign and go in that weren't even thinking about buying a house. And that's what we do a lot on like luxury type homes. Because uh, sometimes it's just someone's driving around and everyone says, oh, don't ever do an open house in luxury. They're just tire kickers. And that's not true. It's not true. People do come that are buying those uh, houses. So, um, Place marketing and information informational materials conveniently, like brochures and info on the house? Well, and oh, having a brochure. I'm the king of that. I, I, I purposely put information like up in the master bath or I'll put it up in the loft where when – here's the thing. People are seeking to confirm what they've already read online. When they go to an open house, very, very rarely are they like, oh, hey, look at that sign. Turn the car, pull up in the driveway and say, oh, I've never looked for a house in this area, and they walk in. Generally, we're seeing people that have researched the living crap out of that house online, and they're coming there to confirm what they see. So, you know, what I'll do is I'll place information throughout the house that's marketing-based. Like, for example, yes, the bedroom is a 16 by 16, and, you know, and you have it in the bedroom where, it, you know, you're trying to promote that feature. Or, yes, take a look at the backyard. You can see, you know, lake whatever out the back window. Um, those are things. And then I also put information. So if you're a real estate agent, this is something else that, you know, you really want to have an opportunity to do. So we'll put on there information about the real estate agent that's holding the open house as well. It says that, hey, uh, this real estate agent will come out and do an equity evaluation of your home, give you suggestions and tips as to what you can do to increase the value of your house, and give you a net sheet that shows you what you can walk away with if you sold in today's market. And people will read that. They won't read a billboard. They won't read a sign, but they will read that inside of a house that's open as long as it's not standing right next to the agent that's working the open house. It has to be away from the agent. And then they come back and they'll say, hey, I saw your sign over there. You mind doing that for us? And it works really nice as a real estate agent. It's a nice, subtle way that they've met you. Now you give them a little, hey, this is what I do. And, and it works well. Um, if anything else, it allows that real estate agent to build a little more rapport with that open house, uh, you know, person, attending, and, and you get a chance to tell them more about your property. Okay. So what I, what I, some people would say, well, Andy, that's self-serving and that's just for the realtor and you're that's using my house to get other people. But the fact is, the truth is, is that if Andy's doing that, all the houses, 
that he's been doing this to help your house out the whole time. And so, and that's why I say, hey, if they're not interested in your house, we would really like to, do, to get into another one of our houses in the future. Just like I've done like an open house three years ago, that that person might be interested in yours. And if I wouldn't have talked to them, I would have never had them for years. And so it's vice versa. So we're helping each other. We're trying to sell yours. Yours is number one. We're trying to get it done. That's everything we're doing. But if they're not interested, we're going to try to be able to kind of uh, get them. And, and, well, and think about this, Chris. If they're a buyer, unless they're non-contingent, they, they have a property that needs to be sold. You know, they like the way that we conducted our open house. Maybe they want to hire us to sell their existing house to help them so they can buy your house. You have a variable rate commission in place where if I find a buyer at the open house that's not represented, you know, do we give you a deal? Or, you know, because they're, they're sliding variable rates too that, that can come into play where the seller benefits from us, you know, having that kind of behavior at an open. Beautiful. How about staging and making the interior pleasant and inviting? 100%. Um, and I think I saw smells on there too. You know, the, the more homey you can make it, uh, the better. I think it's a bread and uh, uh, soft music. I mean, you just want to make, you want to make people feel comfortable is what you want to do. And, and literal, literal staging means that you're um, maximizing the spaces and how it should work uh, for someone else. Sometimes some staging, you know, people can't look past um, the staging stuff to be able to kind of imagine how their stuff would fit in there because it's not as nice. So you kind of got to furnish it based on the level of that house and not outdo it. So if you're, you know, you're buying uh, Louis Vuitton type furniture in a starter home, it, it doesn't go too well. Perfect. Last one. Uh, contact forms ready. God, Andy. Andy takes DNA tests of the everyone that shows up. So, what else do you do, Andy? Uh, scan their retinas so that I know who they are. Um, totally. That's for COVID. That's COVID protocol. That's what you're doing. Yeah. You're really not getting there. Yeah. I remember I was showing that open house and. and uh, the, the whole COVID thing to get the information because we had to do it and getting yelled at. Some people don't like that. They want to be hidden. Yeah. That, that's cool. Then don't come in. Um, I represent the seller and no, but think about this for a second, guys, you represent the seller. You just talked about this, Chris, you know, we, we protect their best interests and this is how the seller wants me to conduct the open house. So if you don't want to do what we're asking, that's cool. Good luck to you. I mean, yeah. I, you know, builders, especially we had curbside open houses for a while and appointments weren't okay. You know, you couldn't be open, but you could have appointments. And so we literally had like a sales guy looking out the window and you had to call the sign. They booked the appointment and they'd say, is there any available right now? Yes. The agent's already there. Um, you know, so we did it that way, but they were asked questions. Have you been around anybody that's been sick? Have you bought? And we went through our, and then, then the builders had us disinfecting the models, you know, after every showing. But now when it comes to, like, for somebody giving you their information, can you, Chris, and this is a question that I already know the answer to, but can you, as a seller, require everyone register before they come into your house? 100%. There you go. So if you say, hey, the seller wants us to have you sign in, they can use Mickey Mouse as their sign-in. But in reality, hey, guys, because of this, we're, we're going to send you out any information. Would you like us to email you a brochure? The best thing to do if you're looking to capture people's information is to say, listen, we're, we're environmentally friendly. We don't print a bunch of brochures and, and chop a bunch of trees down. We'd like to email you everything that you're looking for. Where do you want us to send that to? And then most people are like, cool, and say, we're not going to bug you. We're going to literally send you the information. If I do any price reductions or I do any other adjustments on this house, would you like us to keep in the loop as of what's going on? They say no, cross them off the list. Get them what they want and get them – because – we're in the service industry, guys. And so, you know, when we service people and they feel like we've done what they've asked for, that's what they like to do. Hire us. And and so I've always, you know, complied with people. I don't, I know people joke around with me and say, oh, Andy, you get them to retina scan them. And I, I joke with that stuff. I just, I'm very thorough on what I do. And if people want information, I make sure to get it to them, you know? It's really weird when you run out and grab their license plate, though. I think that's weird. Well, if you don't think we're photo, yeah, we Photoshop, you know, when they pull. <laughs> hey, hey, hey okay, selfie, selfie. And then you go on Google Photos and find out. Yeah. 
this last segment. Where there's a will, there's a way. If they want it, they're going to work with you. If they don't want it, they're just they're they're either your competition or or they're you know trying to find something against you for some other reason. Because most people won't spend the time to go to an open house or register for something if they're not serious about something. Okay, beautiful. Let's do this design inspiration to finish up. The first three photos are the new uh, trend, the storage container homes. I think they're pretty cool. I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts on these. I really well, like those. Well. I, I like those as kind of a, an addition onto a, a existing house already. I think it's cool when you do something contemporary off of something that's more traditional. But those that whole um, – I, I saw one of these – container cart homes, you know, when they had all the containers up and then they started redoing it. I mean, it was horrible at the start. And then it turns into something like this, which is, I mean, it's amazing actually. Yeah, but who'd want to see, you know, one of us guys walking in our underwear up to that bed. All the neighbors would, you know, scream. That's why you have blinds. Yeah. Um, do you think this is a solution to housing. the housing problems and making uh, housing more affordable? It could be. If it is, I don't know. I mean, what kills us is labor. 40% of the cost of a new build is labor. Um, so, you know, you spend 400000 on a house and, you know, I don't know, what do you, 120000 is labor. So you look at these, even if you got the materials for free and the lot for free, they'd be hundreds of thousands um, just for labor and material. But it's it's cheaper than probably stick built for sure. Yeah. yeah They're cool. Continue. I think they actually, Nick, you know, um, I would love to see something like that for like that VRBO, Airbnb. I mean, what a fun like weekend or a fun week Try at the it. lake. You had something like that to rent. That's, that's who that's who makes the most money, the the experiences. So you go live in like a hut in, in uh, the jungle yeah. and they do it for 80 bucks a month. That kind of idea. My cousin sure. has. That and hot tubs, I guess, are a big key with those. They say that if you have a rental unit that has a hot tub, they rent out like 85% more than units that don't. My my cousin has those in Grand Marais, and they're not they're not the container ones, but he did them really cool. And what I mean, and what happens is that people that would never ever buy that want to rent them, they kind of want to just see what it's like. Yeah, that 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 I can totally see. I think that'd be yeah. a fun deal. Yeah, these next three photos are um, stained colored uh, glass in churches. I was in Notre Notre Dame in uh, Paris a couple of days before the fire. And ever since then, I've been really interested in the cathedrals, especially around Italy. And I think these are just beautiful. I'm wondering, can this ever be done in, in a personal home? Yeah. That's, uh, my, that's my bedroom right there. Oh, by the way, this is the Domo in Milan. Talk about living Louis Vuitton style, Rooney. Yeah, totally. I know. Exactly. Um, but, you know, I just, I mean... I don't think that's a multi multi millionaire mansion type thing. I mean, those that that stained glass is unbelievable. Well, remember, hey, remember our, our friend that lived uh, down in Egan that bought that 10,000 square foot yeah. uh, German mansion with a church on site yeah. and, and it had a bunch of this. They had a it literally had a church on the property and uh, she good friend of ours and, and she uh, renovated the whole thing and uh, it turned out pretty nice the way she did it. But what was funny is that the guy spent like six million dollars building this property. She bought it for nine hundred in an auction. Yeah, exactly. What, what about like little pieces, like the bathroom window? You know what I mean? Well, you know who does that? TJB <coughs> does that. Uh, Tom Tom Bedinsky, TJB Homes. He does a stained glass window in every house as his signature, and he hides right. it somewhere in the house. Your your great grandfather did that, Nick, on your mother's side, uh, made stained glass. This one's somewhere in Rome, pretty. And the last yeah. one, this one's the coolest. This is in Krakow, Poland. Nice. Yeah, wow. God love them Polish people. They're fantastic. <laughs> Back yeah. to Krakow, Andy. Uh, Prasky. Yes, it is Polish, guys. Yes, it is. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. I think just even seeing that gives you like a spark of creativity. So I think it, they're really neat. I agree. You know, it is, and it, that's a cool thing about custom building is the inspiration of being able to make it something that's completely your own um, within your budget. And, and that's always kind of the trade-off. You know, so as, as you get into where, oh, I'm going to build my dream home, 
and you spend seven, eight hundred thousand dollars on that dream home to make sure you have the square footage you need, you have the amenities, the bedroom counts, the, the laundry on the upper level, you want the sport court in the back, and you kind of get to a point of where you run out of money. So unfortunately for a lot of the people building houses that or you, you kind of get to the point where you're like, okay, enough's enough. And then you you cut out some of the, the end things that are the fun things like that. And and I, I do encourage people to buy houses that are a little smaller to have fun with them. You know, when you're renovating those houses. You know, I got I got one more little video. It was from Venice on Mother's Day. I want to hear your guys' thoughts on it. And then after we got a couple questions and then we're set. So here's the video. Venice on Mother's Day. Pretty. What a different yeah. world. What a different world. I'm, I'm uh, boy, are they still locked up, Nick? I mean, because there wasn't a lot of people out. For Mother's Day, I mean, I was in a lot of the non-touristy areas, but there was a decent yeah. amount of traffic. Nothing okay. like it was a couple of years ago when I was there. I mean, that what that reminded me of is is, is, is city life and city living. And, um, you know, being able to come right out of your house and being able to walk into something like that, I think is so neat. Um, it's just a total, it's, it's a, it's a total lifestyle is what it is. But, um, yeah, I think you could be inspired there for sure. Did you know Venice was, um, number one, most beautiful city in the world, according to the New York times after like they did a crap ton of them put together and they voted like Venice was the pinnacle of human achievement with building cities. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's all over water. Yeah. yeah. The lagoons, it, how they it, built it is insane. Yeah, isn't it under? Isn't it underwater? It's under. Yeah, it's level. sinking. But yeah. they built it on uh, marsh swampland, and they put these tree trunks that don't uh, with this mud over it, so they don't rot. And they put like millions down, and they just keep building on top of it, on top of the swamp. Wow. Because yeah, the, the something like that, it's crazy. The Attila the Hun, and then the the barbarians, they came down, were conquering uh, the Romans. So they got out of the countryside and went to the swampland because the horses couldn't, you know, go over there. That's you only could get to the the city by the boat. It's pretty fascinating. Wow, water water world. Kevin Costner's over there. Yeah. All right, let's answer these questions here, and then uh, we'll head out. So we have from Greg. Could you explain reparam rights? Reparian. 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 I always think of reptile when I hear reparian. What's that, Andy? I think of reptile. Anything on the water. That's waterfront rights, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's um what may what I know we're going quick. Let's go. We'll we'll get we'll get well, that one at another one. Um, I'll just it, it, get into a ton of rights stuff. are you know like it just it, it comes down to usage of the waterfront, how it's used, how it's you know in yeah. title. We could actually have a whole show on that topic. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, so maybe we'll revisit that. But yeah. think of repairing as reptiles. Where the reptiles live, the riparian rights will will uh, cover. So, Have you heard personal letters from the buyer to seller when making an offer is being looked at as discrimination? I, I don't buy into that. Andy, I know, does. Um, but I don't. Um, I think that uh, they can, they can read it if they want it. If they don't want to read it, they don't have to read it, you know. But um, I think that uh, I don't know. I want to know what the qualifications are of my my buyer. You don't have to. Um, I mean, there's there's a I don't know. So if you're you're totally pre-approved, but if you don't know like what their job is, you know, there's there's something to say about that. That's part of the play into it. So what I'm getting at is that hey, they're totally qualified. But what you don't know is they've only been there for three months, you know, and at their last job and their job before the job before. I want to know that, hey, they've been around there for a while, because I'll tell you what, if you screw up and don't pick the right person, they don't qualify or they lose their job. I mean, you're I mean, that's detrimental. So, well, you know, where, where I get a little uh, a little aware is that when you have a letter that comes in and let's say that it says, 
hey, you know, we're a nice couple that has babies. And, you know, we got married at this church and our kids go to this religious school. And there's so many protected classes within that those comments that you have to be super careful because what they're using to sell you on them might be protected under the discriminatory protection clauses that we have. And so what you have to remember is that if it's a letter that says, hey, this buyer wants to buy your house, appreciates all the work you've done to it, and really sees um, it as being a great place to live. Nothing wrong with that. You know, there, there's there's nothing wrong with that. There's, you know, it, it's straightforward. It doesn't tell you if there's 15 people or one person, what their sex is, what their religion is, if they have children, if they have dogs, if they have whatever, you know, none of that's in there. And so then you're, you're not really subjecting yourself to any scrutiny. It's when they get personalized that they make it personalized. And I mean, even something as simple as sexualities and, you know, religion, race, creed, all that stuff is subjective to other people's opinion that you got that letter and picked them because of this. I don't, okay. I don't ever put myself. Okay, let me, let me ask you something, though. Do, do you think, um, well, I know, I mean, do, do sellers ever or buyers ever look up about that seller and, and go to a thing called Google? And put it there and find the homeowner and says it's Andy Prasky, and they find out that he has a sumo suit that sits out on the corner of the and weighs people to his open houses. I mean, they can find that out. Oh, in two seconds. I, I've had yeah. clients of mine come in and say, Well, you know, she owns a donut shop up the street and she has four kids, and uh, and I can't stop that. But right. I, a letter that helps me sway my seller's opinion has no place in that offer. Yeah, but it's not, I mean, you, we can't discriminate. So I think it's kind of like assuming that, oh, don't give us a letter because we're going to discriminate against someone. That's bull. That's that's crap. We don't do that. It's, it's um, you know, you, you're picking out the best buyer for it and you can't discriminate against race, color, creed, religion, familial status, whatever. And, um, you know, you can't do it. And we can't, we can't be a part of any of that. And so if a letter says, hey, you want to give it to me because I'm a, uh, you know, um, whatever, you, you know, you, you can't, they can't, if they, if their seller says that, hey, that's a, a thing, you know, that, Hey, I want that, you know, I can't be part of that. Those are the so, no, no's that we don't want to, we don't want to influence a, a decision on. And, and because it, it, it's against our rules and our, our we don't. Uh, code of ethics. We give the information so they can make a decision is what we do. So where's the Rooney Prasky billboard? Comment. Did he see yeah, that? The very beginning? <laughs> yeah, the one yeah. in the beginning. I'll <laughs> hug Andy. We'll have his arms out. He was on a cross, and uh, the uh, oh yeah, fantastic. Well, hey, make sure you don't if you don't catch the video version. Yeah. We're on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you stream podcast. Please re leave a review. Another great episode. Send in your questions. And uh, what do you guys have to say? Final words. See you later next week. Hey, thanks, Greg, for all the great questions this week. We appreciate it. Uh, Got a lot of loyal people to come back every week, and we, we thank you for sharing that too, and you know, uh, letting people know about it. We're organic, man. We just we're a couple guys that work hard trying to get good information out there, and we appreciate your support. Thanks for joining us this week on the Real Estate Radio Hour. Don't forget to visit our website, realestateradiohour.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast listening app. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or sharing us with a friend. Until next time, stay awesome, Twin Cities.